Tonight, move over radical transgenderism. There is a new insidious movement emerging. Would you believe legalizing pedophilia? It's Thursday, May 11th, 2023. I'm David Menzies, and this is The Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. It must be such a letdown for all the wannabe civil rights crusaders on campus in this, our young 21st century, wouldn't you say, folks? Like the classic meatloaf song, all revved up with no place to go, these social justice warriors have all this pent-up energy and even rage. But really, what battles are left to be fought? Well, at least what battles remain with merit, that is, when you're a wokester taking gender studies and pondering your bleak future employment possibilities, I can kind of understand the rage part after all. Yet go back some 50 or 60 years ago, it was a different kettle of a fish, wasn't it? College campuses would erupt with demonstrations that were actually worthy, such as campaigns for equal rights for women and people of color. And there was also that very unpopular war being waged in Vietnam, a conflict that was routinely denounced. All these battles were fought and won. Later would come demonstrations in support of gay rights, yet another battle fought and won. Currently, the cause du jour is trans rights, perhaps more correctly described as radical transgenderism rights. And I have to say, it seems like this war is headed towards victory as well given that so many in this community are clearly individuals struggling with mental health issues, the idea, alas, of radical transgenderism being normalized is something I think we need to mourn rather than celebrate. Indeed, when you have a female U.S. Supreme Court judge stating without a scintilla of shame that she is unable to define the word woman, is this a good thing? When drag queen story time down at the public library is pretty much the rule rather than the exception these days, is this a good thing, especially given the age-inappropriate audience? But in certain circles, merely to state what I just stated, it would be considered transphobic at best and uh, an outright hate crime at worst. So most people keep their mouths zipped, don't want to get doxxed or punched out, as the case may be, as much as the trans community likes to claim that love trumps hate, too many members in this community tend to self-identify as violent thugs. And when these people suffer from hurt feelings, they immediately default to sticks and stones mode. There are so many examples to choose from, but one of the most recent and egregious examples of violent transanity, well, it took place in Vancouver recently, Check out what happened to Billboard Chris Elston, a man who campaigns for the well-being of children. How do you keep your composure? Fuck you! What's up? How do you keep your composure? Fuck you! 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 You know, there were actually two crimes committed in that clip. 
the assault on Billboard Chris by some unhinged individual who resembles the lead singer from Twisted Sister. The other crime was committed by the Vancouver Police Department, who failed to press charges despite a preponderance of evidence. Shameful. But then again, as we demonstrated last month, thanks to evidence supplied by a whistleblower, the Toronto Police Service now forces its constables to take transgender training. It's downright surreal, and I suggest you view that shocking video. The Coles Notes version is simply this. Trans people are not worthy of equal rights, but of special rights. Because if it's trans, it's good, and if it's good, it's trans. Says who? Oh, says the unelected, non-accountable Ontario Human Rights Commission, who ordered the police to mandate this training. That's who. I'm pretty sure the rank and file of the BPD have been instructed to embrace a version of this training as well. And so it is that with the approval of law enforcement to, oh, go ahead, break the law, the radical trans community is on the precipice of victory. Maybe they're already victorious. Hey, go to a college campus and speak out against so-called trans women unfairly competing against biological women in the sports realm, and you might find yourself lucky to escape unscathed. Just ask Riley Gaines, who had to literally run for her life at a San Francisco University uh, meeting last month. Her crime? Speaking out against loser male athletes pretending they are female athletes in order to actually, you know, win a trophy. So if radical transgenderism is more or less a done deal, what new battlegrounds are about to emerge when it comes to civil rights? I mean, it would seem to me that the radicals are running out of people and causes in which to champion, wouldn't you say? Oh, but there is one community that justifiably lingers in society's shadowy underbelly. In fact, it is comprised of people whose activities are rightfully criminal code violations in Canada, and for that fact, the, the world over. But shockingly, disturbingly, ever so slowly, the line is beginning to move regarding this frightening final frontier. I speak of pedophilia. For the vast majority of the world's inhabitants, the very idea of a child being sexually violated by an adult is monstrous. Really, is there a bigger taboo this side of cannibalism or incest? And yet here we are today. Can you imagine someone who can't buy cigarettes, liquor, lottery tickets, and is not allowed to vote is apparently mature enough to engage in sex with someone who is decades older? Does that make sense to you? I speak of an absolutely shocking report that was recently issued by international legal experts who have the backing of the United Nations. What, the UN supporting a crackpot idea? You know, like putting some of the worst dictatorships in the world on its human rights committees? You don't say. Well, the crux of the matter is this, the UN report appears to normalize those adults who crave sexual relations with minors. According to a Fox News report, here's what the Geneva-based International Commission of Jurists wrote with help from UNAIDS and the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. Quote, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex 
may be consensual, in fact, if not in law, end quote. The document is titled, quote, The Eight March Principles for a Human Rights-Based Approach to Criminal Law Prescribing Conduct Associated with Sex, Reproduction, Drug Use, HIV, Homelessness, and Poverty, end quote. That is quite the heap and helping of word salad, but when you delve into the document, it's downright chilling, given that it states children have both the capacity and the legal right to make sexual decisions. Indeed, in reference to this report, my colleague Ian Miles Chong tweeted a while back that, quote, according to the United Nations, children may consent to sex with adults, this has been the plan all along, end quote. Oddly, the report does not offer a suggested age of sexual consent. Gee, maybe we have to defer to that despicable organization known as NAMBLA, you know, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, which was funded back in 1978. NAMBLA had a grotesque saying, quote, if he's eight, it's too late, end quote. In a 2016 article in Vice magazine, it was noted that NAMBLA is thankfully diminished these days, but it has not altogether disappeared. And for the so-called pedophile community, a cluster that makes the incel folk rather look like rock stars, well, it seeks greater acceptance these days. Indeed, they are rebranding the P word. Pedophilia, much like the swastika, doesn't really have the best brand image after all. So it is that Vice noted, quote, some pedophiles now call themselves minor attracted persons, MAPS. MAPS have their own language in the pedosphere, which is divided into the boy love, sometimes abbreviated BL, and girl love communities, end quote. Yeah, minor attracted persons. Apparently, intergenerational love is a new whiz-bang term for pedophilia as well. The phrase lipstick on a pig comes to mind. Is your skin crawling yet? But the Vice article notes the UN interest in pedophilia actually dates back several decades ago. Quote, at the time, NAMBLA hung around in the outer orbit of LGBT rights groups. But NAMBLA's sudden notoriety drew attention and disgust that such groups definitely didn't want. The International Lesbian and Gay Association faced a firestorm of criticism in 1993 when it took on its prestigious role of speaking at the UN on behalf of LGBT groups all over the world. Right-wing groups slammed it for its connection to NAMBLA and the ILGA cut its ties with the group, end quote. Oh, those sinister right-wing groups, eh? Shameful, aren't they? Taking a stance against adults who desire to have sex with children. But getting back to the recently issued UN report, do you know it was inexplicably released in recognition of International Women's Day? Now, look, I know the feminist movement has thrown biological women under the bus, given that these loons are simpatico with the phrase trans women are real women. But if modern day feminists are okay with intergenerational love, 
then is it any wonder why so many women, at least the ones I know, take offense at being described as a feminist? It's the new F word, at least for them, given what modern day feminism has devolved into. As for the United Nations, it yet again continues to make the case that this cabal of elitists is in no way representative of the people in all of the nations that it claims to speak for. The very idea that there is somehow a connection between women's rights and the age of sexual consent, well, that's equal parts bizarre and deeply offensive. Little wonder hockey legend Theo Fleury recently tweeted, quote, the UN is full of pedophiles, end quote. Oh, some free political advice to conservative leader Pierre Polyev here. How about this winning plank for you? In addition to defunding the CBC, please promise to yank our dominion out of the cesspool that is the United Nations. I can't imagine that any normal Canadian, regardless of their political persuasion, that they are down with the idea that tax dollars are being used to fund a corrupt organization that is now making the unthinkable argument regarding normalization and even legalization of pedophilia. Indeed, the International Commission of Jurists also noted in its report the following, quote, the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them, pursuant to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy Persons under 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard to their age, maturity, and best interests, and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees, end quote. Here's the nitty-gritty translation, folks. If an adult and a minor are having a fully consensual sexual relationship, then who are we to deny this union? In fact, to deny such a consensual sexual relationship would be a form of discrimination. In what galaxy does this so-called International Commission of Jurists reside in? Still, I would argue the world is now bearing the perverted fruit of the radical transgender movement. We have men pretending to be women being invited to give talks to various YWCA chapters, thus basically telling biological females to know their role and shut their mouth. We have grotesque drag queens appearing in women's fashion magazines. We have fake females trying to move the merchandise in ad campaigns. Oh, and just ask Anheuser Bush how that's working for them in light of the Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light debacle. But now we are being instructed and even ordered to believe that a biological male can simply identify as a female, even if that man doesn't bother to take hormone injections or surgically slice and dice his wedding tackle to somewhat resemble a vagina. Remember the phrase, I think, therefore I am? Well, today this is morphed into, I identify, therefore I am. Thus, men can destroy female sports. Men who are sex offenders can be incarcerated in women's prisons. And really, what could go wrong there? Meanwhile, perhaps the biggest crime on the books 
is to misgender someone or to use the wrong pronoun, of which there are currently dozens. We have bent the knee to the inmates who are no longer incarcerated in asylums, but rather advocating for societal change. So in this current environment of perverse one-upmanship, I suppose it was only inevitable for pedophilia or minor attracted persons or intergenerational lovers to be normalized and even embraced. By the way, I have some words of advice for the LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, community. If you stand with the majority of people who find pedophilia to be grotesque and even downright unthinkable, then you might want to disassociate yourselves from school boards supporting elementary school libraries that are stocking up on pornographic books, novels that actually feature themes of pedophilia and even incest. Case in point, last month there was a peaceful demonstration by mostly concerned parents and grandparents outside Colonel Farewell Public School in Whitby, Ontario. There was also a protest staged by the Rainbow Coalition, plus their Antifa allies. And a parent reached out to us and asked if um, we knew what kind of books our children were reading. And then she wrapped her hand around it and put it in her mouth. Age inappropriate materials, uh, borderline pornography. I wouldn't know anything about that. But here's the thing, folks. The demonstrators never once vilified or demonized sexual orientation nor gender identity. There were no homophobic or transphobic comments uttered. Their demonstration was all about the preponderance of pornography available to elementary age students in Durham region. So the fact that the spirit unicorns were counter-protesting, as you saw, and trying to incite violence as well, what is the takeaway here? That the LGBTQ blah, 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 blah community supports kitty porn? That's a hard sell, guys. You might want to reconsider what your position is. Now, the question remains, are pedophiles the new radical transgender folk? Will pedophilia at the bequest of the United Nations be normalized? Will images of pedophilia become trendy within the realm of pop culture and high fashion? I know it sounds unthinkable, but if I told you just five years ago that parents would be taking their youngsters to see a drag queen as opposed to going to the Dairy Queen, would you have believed me? The same goes for biological males competing against real women in sports and doing time with real women in penitentiaries. Would you have bought into that back in, say, 2018? And yet again, here we are, here we are today. It is unthinkable and unforgivable what's happening today. The fact that normalizing pedophiles and their heinous activities is even up for discussion. Children are precious, and childhood is our most treasured, albeit perishable, commodity there is. Childhood is a time when innocence takes lease. Childhood is devoid of hidden agendas and conniving and politicking. Indeed, <laughs> there's no such thing as a child politician. And yet, 
in relative terms, this period is so brief, isn't it? Eventually, with childhood's end, when innocence has been eradicated, a child full of wonder emerges as a cynical adult. When that happens, something is lost, something that is irretrievable, something that is irreplaceable. The fact that the United Nations would want to accelerate the abbreviation of childhood in the most perverse way possible is beyond disgusting and despicable. It is evil. You might think the word evil is an exaggeration or such a descriptor belongs within the realm of the supernatural. Really? Here's the Oxford De Dictionary definition for evil, profoundly immoral and wicked. That's exactly what pedophilia is, profoundly immoral and wicked. In the final analysis, we have two choices. We can endorse the UN approach and make the entire planet a version of Epstein's Island, or we can look to the greatest governor currently in office south of the border, that would be Ron DeSantis. Last week, the Florida governor approved a bill that would potentially allow the death penalty for those who commit sexual battery on children under the age of 12. And that's the decision we must reach regarding so-called intergenerational love. We can reach out to pedophiles, as the UN suggests, in the name of inclusion and welcome them in to that big diversity tent. Or we can embrace the Ron DeSantis approach. I'm a fan of the latter, folks which is to say, fry them. Well, folks, come midnight tonight, the U.S. government will remove that COVID-19 immigration restriction known as Title 42. Migrants continue to gather on the U.S.-Mexico border in huge numbers, many hoping to get into America ahead of supposed tough new asylum rules that will effectively replace Title 42, something that had been in effect since March of 2020. But the question arises, under the Biden administration, illegal aliens have flooded into the U.S. via the southern border in record numbers. Will anything change come Friday morning? And with his thoughts on this matter, I'm joined now by Michael Yawn, one of America's most experienced combat reporters and someone who has kept a keen eye on the Mexico-U.S. border these past three years. Welcome to the Ezra Levent Show, Michael. Thank you, sir. In fact, I just got in from Panama. Uh, I was in at the Darien Gap again. I spent a lot of time uh, studying this issue in places like Panama and Colombia Mexico. I, I mean, I physically go to these places and spend months at a time here in Texas, of course, Morocco, Greece, all across Europe. Uh, yeah, and Japan. And I was just in Japan about a month or so ago as well, watching this same issue. And and because you you have to look at this on a global scale to to grasp exactly what's going on and to understand the the human osmotic pressure that that push and the pull of migration. Now, this Title Forty Two thing. On one level, it's a big deal. On another level, it's really nothing at all. Mm. And, and I'll, I'll explain both of those uh, uh, contrasting positions here. On the, the people are streaming across the border night and day already anyway, 
right? Many of them are being flown around the United States by our government, United States government, right? And so, they, I mean, I'm constantly up and down this border on all sides, again, from Panama all the way up. Panama is part of this flow. That's why I spend so much time down there. The uh, And so at, at this rate, actually, as of about one month ago, the, the uh, instantaneous rate of about one month ago was more than 400,000 per year were coming through Panama, the Darien Gap, right? Now, that rate now, I believe, is at least 500,000 and maybe more. It's unclear. We'll, I'll, I, I'll know in another uh, few weeks when I go back down there. But the, uh, and, and so why is the Darien Gap important? That's where people from more than 140 countries actually come through, all over Africa, Asia, uh, all over South America, including Venezuela, is just dumping out. Like right now, the Panamanian government told me about three weeks ago or so that 11%, 11% of the people in Panama now are new Venezuelans. I said, hold on, please repeat that. 11, you know, repeat what you said. And she said, 11%. So I said, hmm, okay, so you're telling me, what's this doing to Panama? And she said, it's destabilizing us, of course. And, uh, and so that's just Panama. So it's, you know, it's destabilizing countries all up the chain. Now, this is what the World Economic Forum and CCP openly are trying to do. They don't hide it, actually. So we also have a lot of Chinese coming through. And the Chinese will tend to go to Quito. Well, actually, the Chinese have different methods of flowing in. One of the flows goes through Darien Gap. Uh, another flow, they just fly to Cancun for vacations. After their vacation's over, they head on up They where they meet with their snakeheads. They uh, Chinese call coyotes sn snakeheads. So... If you're a Chinese, talk about snakeheads or talking about coyotes. So they'll meet their coyotes in places like Cancun uh, or in Mexico City or Tapachula or whatever. But let's go back down to uh, Darien Gap. The, the the Chinese who are on a, more of a budget, they'll pay closer to $30,000 to get into the United States. And, and they'll go through Quito, uh, Ecuador. So they go through Quito. They go through Colombia. They'll, they'll take a bus. It takes about 50 hours. Uh, and so it's two-day bus rides. From Quito, Ecuador, they go to Nicocli, uh, Colombia, right? And then from Col Nicocli, they get on a boat, which I've done this, and then th they'll go for about an hour and a half to a place called Capargana in Colombia. And then from uh, Capargana, where I've been, it's a very dangerous place. I don't like it. A lot of car that's com completely run by cartels, right? Wow. And so, uh, hmm. but it's a, but it's actually like a resort. So there's these nice hotels. And yeah, exactly. You're like, so it's like this little. <laughs> Little, little tiny, little sort of tiny uh, sliver of Hawaii there in Colombia, tiny, like you know, I don't know, ten or twenty nice hotels, and and then um, uh, and then from there they they go into the jungle, right? And uh, and then I intercept. Well, I only stayed there for about three days, and I thought I was over uh, overstaying. I, I could feel the danger; something was wrong, so I left immediately. So then I flew over to Panama on one trip, uh, and uh, I started intercepting the. Uh, migrants on the other side and mm -hmm. so for instance now i go to you know panama pretty often i'll spend i've spent months and months down there in the jungle with the indians uh the embara indians and the kuna indians and the wunan indians in intercepting the aliens as they come through now that's where the united states government is helping with that flow we are paying for that flow we have helped build the camps i mean serious camps and i've drawn those they're on my twitter you can see on on if you scroll down or just look at you know Panama videos on my Twitter, you'll see you know droning 
some of these camps that we're paying for. The United States government money, uh, taxpayer money actually pays for free rate kits. These are kits that are handed out by an organization called OIM or IOM, depending on your language, uh, Organization for Immigration and Migration. They're part of the UN, right? But, but, but it's wait paid for Michael, by US. If I, if I can interject, because um, there's something that doesn't make sense here to me. Are you saying that the US government is funding a conduit that is bringing illegal aliens to the ultimate finish line, which is U.S. soil. Is that what's actually going on? And if so, what is the un unspoken agenda here? It's a spoken agenda. It's not unspoken. They clearly are doing a replacement uh, strategy with the, um, with the, with the weaponize weaponization of migration here. Right? The weaponization of migration is an old war tactic. It's been done many, many, many I saw it in Tibet when I was in Tibet. I've seen it in I saw it in Hong Kong before I got kicked out of Hong Kong. It, for, the mainland Chinese were sending in uh, mainlanders to Hong Kong for many years, and they would just send them every day, just drip, drip, drip. And they took over the schools, they took over the bureaucracy and the and the uh, and the and the political force. And finally, anyway, they, uh, they you know through you saw a lot of fighting in 2019 and 20. I was there until I got kicked out in 2020. That's Hong Kong. So that's a weaponization of migration. You know, uh, a replacement sort of strategy. And and um, anyway, back to the so, United so States, Michael, U.S. government. If, yes, if I may, when you say uh, the weaponization of migration is the ultimate goal then, uh, well, let's take the state of Texas, a red state, is the ultimate goal to literally change the demographics, the, um, the uh, unofficial deal with the Biden administration being, just remember, every four years, vote team blue. We're the people that got you in here. And of course, if a state like uh, Texas were to flip from red to blue, well, maybe uh, the Democrats are in power uh, forever. Uh, is, is that what's going on? Short-term goal. That's that's way below their actual goal. Back to Panama and how we're paying for this. The United States government, uh, Mayorkas went down there in April of this year. I was there when he went. He went there with the Southcom commanding general and the U.S. Uh, uh, ambassador to Panama, uh, in, in, all incredibly woke, by the way, and, uh, and, 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 and then reaffirmed what we're doing down there. Now, he was there also the last April in 2022. I was physically present when he landed right in front of me in four Blackhawk helicopters, and they expanded the camp since then. The camps have more than doubled in size in Panama from today. I have full access to the camps in Panama, by the way. Those have more than doubled in size from um, uh, this year to uh, April of 2022. I've got drone footage from 2022 and drone footage that's a few weeks old. And you can see they've more than doubled in size. One of them, I would say, is even tripled in size, right? And the flows are just, you know, you saw Mayorkas say recently that we're going to stop the flow through Panama. Nonsense. I've got that place stitched up. You cannot go through any of those places in Panama without me knowing about it immediately. I'll know about it within hours. So I see that I get daily updates. I know that the flows are increasing. And, and then I go down there myself and audit. I've taken two congressmen down there. I've taken, I just took, uh, I took uh, numerous journalists down there so that they can, uh, like for instance, uh, Anthony Rubin, whom I think you should, might want to have one. He just did a small documentary based on uh, the work that he just did when we were together. We see a lot of Chinese coming through. Now, different groups coming in have different uh, strategy, different reasons for coming. For instance, uh, 
a lot of the Haitians, they're just dumping out of Haiti, Haiti because it's being facilitated by the United States uh, and the Cubans as well. Uh, and Venezuela, of course, has collapsed because of left-wing government. And Colombia is now really uh, on wobbling knees. We see a lot more Colombians coming through. But let's go to Chinese now. Chinese, some. why are these military ma uh, mage, uh, I'm sorry, aged males coming through? I'm, I'm awake on the border so late at nights, <laughs> so, so I'm not getting a lot of sleep. But right now, I just got a message from Border Patrol. Uh, as of this is this was actually from yesterday. Five hundred and thirty-one Chinese in custody right now. Five hundred thirty-one. Two hundred and fifty-eight of those Chinese are eighteen to forty-year-old single males. So two hundred and fifty-eight of five forty-one uh, are Chinese uh, are eighteen to forty-year-old single males. Now this is what I see down in Panama as well. Uh, again, keep in mind the Chinese have many different flows. They also come through the northern border in Canada. And many just come over uh, 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 on, I mean, they have visas. They land in Los Angeles Airport or San Francisco, right? They just come the direct route, and they actually have legal papers when they land. So Chinese are, if you read the book Unrestricted Warfare, what's happening now is not a mystery. None of this is. But, Michael, what you're saying to me, it, this is downright chilling. Um, the idea that a sovereign nation isn't protecting its sovereignty in fact, it's purposely leaving it porous um, just to achieve political ends in the short and the long term at the expense of law-abiding, tax-paying Americans. This is what I'm reading into it. Um, this is just incredible. And yet we don't see this getting reported in the mainstream media, do we? I'll give you a quick example. Uh, do you remember the caravan back in 2018? In the fall, uh, I went down with our super producer here, Efren, for two weeks in Mexico, and we followed the migration. And, I, and the biggest lie of all was that at least 50% of the migrants were children. And I can tell you it was less than 1%. You know, that was the length of the lies. These were all, as far as I could tell, the lion's share were young, able-bodied males, and they seemed to be economic migrants. Um, but that raises another question, too. Um, could there be really nefarious types coming over with this flood? I'm thinking terrorists. If this is a way into America, um, scot-free, uh, it would be almost irresponsible for a member of uh, al-Qaeda or whoever not to take advantage of this. Your thoughts, Michael? Uh, it's clearly happening. Look what al-Qaeda did, actually. There's a great book on this called The Looming Tower. Uh, very interesting book, but uh, you know the, we know that the 9/11 attackers, whether or not they were supported by you know the U.S. federal government, I, I you know I don't know. There's some credible evidence of that, but the bottom line is we do know that they came and they lived in places like Florida and New Jersey. We do know that they went to gun ranges and learned how to uh, use weapons. That after they got here, we do know that they trained in flight simulators in the United States before flying those jets into American buildings. We do know those things, right? And, and, and we can clearly see a similar strategy is happening with at least some subset of the people coming in. And that subset is, so there's multiple things going on. It's not just one thing. It's not, you know, when you go to the jungle, it's not just the birds uh, singing or, or, you know what I mean, or the, or the snake slithering or something. It's the jungle. And that's what we have going on here. We have a jungle of uh, people doing a jungle of things. This is a clear replacement strategy. Ultimately, this will be kinetic war. 
It's very clear that eventually these people that are coming in, these military-aged males, whether they know it or not, and the vast majority certainly will have no idea that eventually they will be armed. Remember, just their presence alone is a weapon. They're straining the system. They will be voters. They, they will be on the, the, the uh, census rolls that affect many important things. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, we have these funds, which you can target and send information to that they all have these smartphones. Uh, you can send text to those and say, hey, I'll put money on your phone. If, you know, if you just go to this certain place and do whatever. Just be there, right? It's, it's but amazing. ultimately, yeah, it, go ahead, no, sir. Here's the big question. If what you're saying is true, and I, I don't dispute what you're saying, if the Biden administration is not stopping the flow of illegal aliens from all these countries, and there are so many people with nefarious agendas coming in to the United States, and in fact, the Biden administration is aiding and abetting this illegal migration, the question arises, Michael, and it, it's a tough term, but I got to ask it, does this meet the benchmark of treason? Oh, way beyond. We've, we've long since, sort of, we're like so far back into uh, treason territory that we've forgotten where the border is of treason, <laughs> right? You know, and, and like, I mean, we're basically in Moscow. I, I have one more minute, one last question. Come Friday, Title 42 ends. Any, does anything tangibly change at the border, at the southern border of the U.S., I should say, because it's a different kettle of fish at the northern border with Canada? Uh, or is it a business as usual? Are thousands upon thousands of migrants still going to flood into America via the southern border? They're still going to flood in. And keep in mind, the reason I spend so much time downrange, like, for instance, in Panama or Colombia, is because I'm listening to what the, the aliens are telling me. And they know there's going to be a decision. Very few of them have heard of Title 42. They just know it as the decision, right? And now, as this, they're all on WeChat and WhatsApp and all that, talking with their families and friends, and they're all comparing. You know, there's chat groups for them, and, and they're on Twitter just like we are, and, wow. and, they're, and they're telling each other about this thing. So as they see the decision, no matter what, it's, it's increasing the flows. Like we can see now there's more people going to Colombia, and there's more people going through the Darien Gap right now. That's why I'm watching the downrange, the flash, the bang, right? It's not just this border. There's that other slow flash, the bang that happens in places like uh, all across Asia and uh, Europe, or and a few Europeans come in. Uh, we see some, uh, uh, anyway, not to go into that, but it's mostly Africans, mostly Asians and South Americans who are coming in. And they're coming in by the millions. It is not, remember, it's not just here. They're also flooding through into Europe, for instance, in Morocco, I've gone to Morocco and watched uh, people flooding into Ceuta and Melilla, those, those two uh, Spanish cities that are in actually in Africa. So if you get into those two EU cities that are in Africa, most, most people don't realize there's actually European Union cities in Africa. And if you can get over those little walls, you are now in the EU, right? It's just like getting over the, the border wall here. Sorry, sir. I'll go on for hours. Well, Michael, we, I think we could talk about this for days, and it's all fascinating. Yeah. Don't be wrong. We, we just run out of time. I'd love to have you come back on the show, uh, Michael. This is fascinating stuff, and uh, people can follow you on Twitter. I've seen your Twitter feed. You have some amazing videos on there. And once again, I, I, you've given us so much chilling information to di digest here. There's no other way to put it. Uh, let's at least hope uh, something changes for the better, or at least there's regime change in America next year, <laughs> and and um, uh, the, the border can be more secure. Michael Yon, 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. Well, folks, my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed, she filled in for Ezra Levent on last night's Ezra Levent show and lots of feedback regarding her monologue on immigration. Frosty Night writes, this mass illegal immigration is causing the welfare state to expand and mass debt. Kindness is helping people with our means, within our means rather, not allowing them to suffer in an economy they can't survive in. And yet, you know, that is the thing, isn't it, folks? Uh, the theme to Sheila's monologue was how people immigrating into Canada through legal channels, while they're facing all kinds of hurdles and obstacles, you cross the border illegal, in an illegal fashion, that is, well, <laughs> red carpet treatment. Talk about the bizarro Superman world, eh? And LOL Canadian writes, one thing I've always been amazed at is just how much stuff supposedly immigrants and asylum seekers are bringing with them. How the hell do you drag suitcases like that for anything but through an airport? And sandals and snow? GTFOH. They have better clothes than I do. Those immigration numbers, by the way, are only one point of entry. They're coming in from others. Well, you know, you raise a good point. Are these really asylum seekers or are they... I don't know, economic migrants that want to take a shortcut into Canada. And of course, Canada under Prime Minister Blackface, well, he's got a slogan, it seems, doesn't he? Reward the takers, penalize the makers. Ay, ay, ay. Well, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Ezra Levent Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. The big boss man, Ezra, he'll be back tomorrow, Friday. In the meantime, as always, stay safe and stay sane.